Hey fellow chasers, just a quick note before we get into the episode to please rate and review the show, check out thechasepodcast.ca for more content, and most importantly, if you like what you hear, please share it with someone else. Just a heads up, if you've got kids within earshot, this episode contains a few adult words lightly peppered throughout, and a mention of substance abuse. Here we go. Newton's first law of motion states that an object either remains at rest or continues to move in a straight line unless acted upon by a force. Sometimes it can take a considerable force to get something or someone in motion, or to change direction for that matter. So is that it? Are we slaves to inertia? A mathematical equation from the 1600s? Man, I hope not. You're listening to The Chase. kindergarten graduation I held up a sign saying I think I want to be a policeman and then you know as grade school progressed I got really creative and we I'd make home movies with my friends and we'd write scripts and it was mostly horror movies um, so then I really wanted to be like in film especially like um, either I guess it was an actor I did all the stage plays in, in grade school that's the voice of Andy Berthium spoiler alert Andy's neither a cop nor an actor. That's not how his story goes. As you heard in that clip, Andy was drawn to a creative life at an early age, but then something happens to Andy that probably sounds familiar. In grade eight, I was really into drama and, you know, theater and things like that. And then, I don't know, I just had this really bad self-consciousness that kind of swept over me and anxiety and and, and I think everybody goes through that but mine was pretty bad so I was like oh that's not cool you know and so I spent all of high school not really doing the things that I wanted to do just because I was just so self-conscious. Puberty. It leaves Andy with a pretty solid growth spurt, extra hair, and a crippling sense of self-consciousness. Suddenly he feels compelled to hide the things he's passionate about and trade them in for more conventional pastimes. Peer pressure's a bitch. You might think that part of that equation might be parental pressure, you know, a well-intentioned nudge towards traditional pursuits. You can almost picture a parent having a little heart-to-heart with Andy, telling him it's time to get his head out of the clouds and get serious about his future. Not the case here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my parents are fantastic and they've always been supportive. Um, I think the only thing they, they want us to do is, you know, if we do pursue something or if, if we have a job, you know, it's a responsibility and, and to do our best in that. So they were always very supportive. You know, had I told my parents, hey, you know, I want to quit basketball and pursue drama, they would have been 100% behind me. Um, so it was more of what I was dealing with in my head. You know, um, I think back to my parents were always at the plays, uh, that I was performing in. Um, you know, my dad was always reading my scripts, uh, helping me out, set up the camera. I mean, really, when I was really, really young, my dad would operate the camera. It was one of those big, um, camcorders with the, you know, the full VCR tape in it. 
And uh, I, I think we saw those tapes somewhere. They'd be hilarious to watch, man. So Andy's the one holding himself back. And he goes forward down a pretty familiar road. I mean, he goes to university, he gets a degree, he moves away from those supportive parents and starts living his adult life in the big city. Toronto in this instance. But all these steps are taking Andy further away from that elementary school kid who was writing scripts and making horror movies with his friends. And I'll let you in on a secret. The corporate world desk job he spends the next few years chasing? Well, that's not Andy. Not at all. This is. When I was in the second grade, I was a big fan of MC Hammer, uh, the rapper. And that his album, uh, You Can't Touch This, had just come out. And I listened to the cassette all the time. So me and four of my grade two friends performed in a talent show. Uh, the town I'm from, LaSalle, which is right next to Windsor, they have a strawberry festival every year. We're known for our strawberries here in LaSalle. And uh, we used to have these local talent shows, uh, every strawberry fest, every summer. So me and four of my friends uh, got on stage and we lip synced to You Can't Touch This. And the, the tape is, I still have the tape, man. I should put it on YouTube or something like that. That is probably the first time I caught that. I wouldn't say the acting book because I wasn't really, I guess I was acting, but it was just like that electricity that you feel when you're on stage and you're performing. You get that nervousness before you go on, your throat, you know, it feels really dry. Uh, your your limbs feel tingly, but then when you go on it, on the stage and you work through that and, and you're in front of the crowd, it's just electrifying. It's it, I, I can see why people get the acting bug for sure. So how does Andy get back to being closer to that strawberry festival performing kit. How much force does that take, I wonder? Andy and I are talking over Skype. He's sitting in the basement of his parents' house, back in LaSalle. We had been planning to get together for some time, but life's pretty busy for Andy these days. Andy is a tall, gregarious force of nature. He's the class clown type, always quick with a one-liner, no matter how inappropriate the setting. Andy can make you laugh till you cry, then immediately question your own moral fiber for laughing in the first place. So when you meet Andy, you might think that this breezy, good humor, that's all there is. You might miss that beneath that jovial veneer, there's a very textured, very introspective soul. Andy, as it turns out, is pretty complex. Okay, so Andy starts his corporate world career, and he does pretty well for himself. He's got a full-time gig with a decent salary, pension, benefits, all the things he thought were important to him. He's got enough disposable income to start doing a little traveling, and he's living quite the life in downtown Toronto. And yet, despite the success, something just doesn't feel right. But, you know, I still felt something gnawing at me, uh, you know, and I didn't, I don't know, it's just this, this kind of discontent, you know, and I just s- struck it up to being anxious or, you know, maybe prone to a little bit of depression or things like that. Uh, it, it really got bad um, when I got to my late 20s, um, where I started to feel really kind of, I, I guess it started out its restlessness and there was, then it was definitely some anxiety and then there was definitely like a sadness that kind of overcame me. And, and I'm not exactly sure. You read about depression and anxiety and you, and you read that, um, you know, a lot of people struggle in their late 20s for one reason or the other. 
Um, but it hit me pretty hard. Not sure what's driving these feelings, Andy chases after more of what he thought would make him happy. He changes jobs, taking on a position that paid more money. Great. The new job has a travel component too, so that's letting Andy see a bit more of the world. Even better, right? Well, maybe not. Turns out that Andy's feelings of restlessness and depression persist. Actually, they get worse. Eventually, they force Andy to make a decision. I had to quit. Um, I remember I like after a while, um, it got more and more difficult to get up in the morning and I was making excuses and coming in late and these types of things. Um, and it really, I, I think I was 28 and I just remember, you know, it was a really difficult period because it was like, Oh, this is the life that I planned for, you know, had a girlfriend at the time, um, you know, in a great relationship and, uh, you know, getting paid, you know, more than enough money for a 29 year old living downtown Toronto. Um, but there was really like dissatisfaction, uh, mixed with all these other emotions, man. Um, you know, and, and so I quit and, um, didn't have a job, you know, moved back to Windsor, not moved back. Like I moved back temporarily to, to LaSalle, Windsor area with my parents, you know, recovered, got on some medication, which really helped uh, an antidepressant. And, um, then I was like, it was like a reset. Andy goes back home and those supportive parents, they come in handy again. They help Andy get through this depressive episode and back on his feet. The time off gives Andy an opportunity to reflect on his career and life choices. And that reflection reminds Andy about that kid at the strawberry festival. No, he doesn't start an MC hammer tribute band. Although for the record, that would be pretty cool. Instead, it causes him to think about what he's really passionate about, and it isn't that desk job. So at that time, I started to get a little more smarter or a little more experienced in my life and had a little bit more wisdom and said, okay, you know, what did you like when you were a kid? Well, you know, I like performing. I like those types of things. So the thing that that intrigued me at at 28, 29 years old was going to a a broadcast school. So I took a, a... an in- intensive summer program at Seneca at York for um, a broadcast diploma, so television and radio. And this is just when I was recovering from this kind of depressive episode. Andy moves back to Toronto and pursues this broadcast program part-time. Rent in Toronto ain't cheap, so Andy needs a job. He reconnects with a former colleague, and that leads him back to one of his previous employers, another desk job. But this is just a means to an end, right? Well, here's where inertia comes in again. Remember, objects tend to travel in a straight line. And so it seems to Zandy. Even after he completes the broadcast program, he struggles to really shift away from his corporate world gig. For a creative outlet, Andy starts working on a mental health podcast in his spare time. He puts out a few episodes, but doesn't really promote them. He also struggles to keep up much of a production cycle on top of that day job. All the while, time keeps passing. And then you tell yourself these things, right? You're like, oh, well, I'm going to still pursue this media thing, uh, this broadcasting on the side, and, you know, I'm going to keep applying. And, you know, three months become six months, which becomes a year, and you're still at that job, and you've done nothing with your, you know, broadcast applica- applications, rather. Meanwhile, that corporate gig is actually going pretty well. Andy's able to move around in the company, and he progresses in his career, 
From an outside perspective, things are looking really good. Looks, however, can be deceiving. You can only pretend like you're engaged for so long, you know? And again, my boss was incredibly supportive. I like the people I work with, but I, it was just like, Andy, you know, you're 30. At the time I was 33, 34. I just broken up with my girlfriend of five years and you're going through that transition in your life. You're like, dude. And the money was the, the, the best I've ever made, you know, which is not a crazy amount, but you know, it allowed me to go on trips and things like that. And I'm just like, dude, I just, I can't pretend that I'm engaged anymore. Like I can't just sit in meetings and smile and try to contribute and go And your heart says, I don't give a shit about this stuff. You know, what does he give a shit about? Well, a little more reflection leads him to this light bulb moment. For some reason, um, I finally came to the conclusion that, you know, I have many interests, but I think I'm really interested in storytelling, whether that be through photography, podcasting, um, or radio documentary, and film documentaries. That's like the trifecta, the holy trinity for me that I've finally come to. Um, But it all comes down to storytelling. You know, I like interesting stories. So Andy likes stories. So does my six-year-old. Luckily, Andy is slightly more industrious, and he finds a platform to start his storytelling career. He comes across the Doc Project, a program on CBC Radio. He discovers that you can pitch an idea for a documentary, and if chosen, CBC will partner you up with a seasoned radio producer to mentor you through the process of bringing your doc to air. That's pretty cool. But what story to pitch? Again, Andy turns towards his family and comes up with the following premise. My brother Tim has struggled with drug addiction. He's stolen from the family. Um, Our relationship is not great right now, but um, I'd like to go back for a weekend to Windsor um, where opiate addiction is very high, the rates of opiate addiction, and um, spend a weekend trying to reconnect with my brother, and I'm going to record it. And um, I think it could be a good 10 to 12-minute audio documentary. That's really personal. But isn't art supposed to be personal? He puts his pitch in, and after a period of excruciating silence, he finally hears back. It's a yes. This is huge, but his feelings are actually a little mixed, because Andy may have skipped an important step here. I was so excited, but I was like, oh, shit. I, uh, I, I might want to <laughs> talk to my parents and my brother about this. Uh, so, yeah, so I got off the phone with her. Um, I said, yes, but I just need to, to, you know, uh, get some details straight. Um, I called my, uh, my house here in, uh, LaSalle and my mom picks up and I said, mom, great news. Um, I pitched this idea, um, about, uh, opiate addiction, um, in Windsor. And I was kind of, I guess I was a little vague because I wanted to really sell her on it. Right. I said, you know, and, and I think Timmy's got a really interesting story. And, you know, I'm thinking of coming back to Windsor and talking to him about it and things like that. And we can get into his recovery and and all those types of things. And she's like, oh, my God, Andy, that that sounds amazing. And again, her being very supportive was just like, oh, my God, this is CBC. You know, this is this is awesome. You know, Um, and she's like I said, she's always been supportive and she knew I was kind of trying to steer my life in that creative direction at this point. Um, So I don't actually think I think I said 
I don't think Tim was home. So I said, well, can you just talk to Tim, tell him about this, um, and see if he's cool with it. Um, so she's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think she texted me maybe a couple hours later and said, yeah, Tim, Tim says he's, he's willing to help you out. Um, you know, when you're coming home or whatever. Andy starts work on an incredibly personal audio documentary. It doesn't take long for the project to become something a little bit more. I interviewed my mom in her bedroom and she was so honest, Mike, like, you know, she was talking about the jewelry that Tim took and he had put in baggies ready to sell and she found needles in his room and all this like really, really like heart wrenching, honest stuff. So I think like something changed that weekend where they kind of knew in their hearts that this was going to become something very, um, you know, a hard look at a family struggle and especially at Tim's struggle. And, and they seem cool with it because I think it was kind of healing for them too, almost. Andy works with his producer at CBC and after a lot of hard work, his doc's ready to see the light of day. Here's a clip. I mentioned I'm back in Windsor for the weekend, spending time with Tim and my parents, but it's not all spent having tough conversations. Sometimes Tim and I are just hanging out, like now, in my parents' backyard, and I realize there are so many things I don't know about my brother. He's into space, astronomy. He watches documentaries every night. He's incredibly smart and articulate. He has so many interests, and I had no idea. Before, all I saw was his addiction. But this is, I have this app on my phone, it's called Sky Guide. I paid a couple bucks for it. But it's, yeah, you click on the, the, uh, the constellations, it tells you who made them back in Egypt, like all the stars. Like, look, it's so... Uh, like it's got everything on here. Like, so this is the dark, and then this is the, the dark dark. airs on CBC Radio nationally. It's quite an accomplishment. Andy's proud of the final product, but there's one key audience he's especially anxious to hear feedback from. I sent it to my parents. I said, "Show Timmy, Timmy. I call him Timmy. Timmy's thirty. He'll be thirty-three in November." Um, and um, I was just like looking at my phone that night. I was like, oh my God, what are they going to think of this? You know, this is like airing dirty laundry, talking about jewelry that my mom's jewelry and oh man. Um, but I think, I, I think my mom called um, and I saw that the call was from her. I'm like, oh shoot. Oh my God. You know, this is, this is like going out Canadian. I, you know, I don't know how many listeners CBC radio gets, but I'm sure it's quite a bit. So uh, she's like, Andy, that was awesome. You know, I think you really did, did the story justice. And, uh, I was like, ah, what did Timmy say? She's like, ah, he hasn't listened yet. I think he said he'll listen tonight before he goes to bed. I was like, okay, what does dad think? Oh, dad thinks it's, it's awesome, Andy, you know? <laughs> and again, I, I, I don't know. I, I think those were their true thoughts. You know, I think they're just really proud of me. You know, they, they knew that I was trying to pursue this creative stuff. So they were just like, oh, finally, Andy, you know, one for Andy. One for Andy. Can I point out how big this is? Allow me to repeat myself. This airs nationally on the largest radio network in Canada. This is huge. So what happens next? I go to work the next day, you know, and um, I was like, oh, man. Okay, cool. Uh, And I saw that they, you know, they aired the piece. And I, you know, some people said, oh, my God, Andy, I was listening to CBC radio and they said your name. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. And then it's like, okay. And then it airs and there's a million pieces that air. And then it's like, okay, crickets, you know? Okay, good. Done. Move on. Um, I was like, okay, well, what do I move on to? Maybe the idea of that singular big break isn't all it's cracked up to be. It 
doesn't take long for this giant milestone to just fade into the background. Andy struggles to figure out what to tackle next, how to take the next step forward in living a creative life as a storyteller. Time passes, and he's still working at that day job, thinking, you know, one day, one day he'll pursue this dream fully, with all his time and attention. One day. In the meantime, that straight line continues forward. Life continues in a fairly unremarkable fashion for Andy, until on the way home from work one day, he notices a missed call from his brother. Andy returns the call to find his brother beside himself. It's Andy's mom. She's been taken to hospital. Andy immediately hops on the overnight Greyhound back to Windsor. Andy's mom is 61 years old, and that Monday night, she was driving home from work at 6 p.m., as she always does when suddenly she veers off the road. The car comes to a stop in a snowbank. A passerby would pull over to lend assistance. Andy's mom suffers a massive cerebral hemorrhage, the result of an undetected brain aneurysm. She was gone before she reached the hospital. No symptoms, no warnings, just gone suddenly. Understandably, this hits Andy really hard. That was tough, man. That was really, really tough. Um... The, the funeral was a blur, um, you know, and, and, and I know everybody talks with like, uh, positive, really positive emotions about their moms, you know, role biased, but like my mom was something special, man. You know, uh, you couldn't have asked for a better mom in terms of just her support of me. And, you know, we took these mother son trips every, every year to an American city and something I think she appreciated because my dad doesn't really like to travel and, uh, you know, and I got to travel with her and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. So we, we were really close and she helped me through a lot of my mental health struggles and things like that. So, you know, but life goes on, right? So, uh, funeral happens and, uh, you know, you, you spend two weeks at home and then it's like, oh shit, two weeks is up and, uh, you got to go back to work, you know. Andy goes back to work and resumes the straight line of his life. He continues to reflect on the loss of his mom and he can't shake this one thought. Life is, life is short. And I know it's easy to say, and it's kind of cliche to say that, but it's like, we think that we're guaranteed a healthy life for us and our families and our friends until we're, you know, 90, at least 80. And it's like, man, my mom was 61 worked, you know, worked her ass off for, in a job. She was an occupational therapist and, uh, you know, rose the ranks and, you know, was very active and and had a lot of plans and things like that. And she dies at 61 suddenly, you know, if anything, she, you know, she should have had at least 25 more years, right? This newfound appreciation for the fragility of life weighs on him. As does the fact that he's spending most of his time at a job he doesn't enjoy and it isn't helping him get to where he wants to go. So he resolves to make a change, a big one. He quits that job. He starts to create a plan to travel and pursue his creative endeavors. No more waiting. And then, almost by divine intervention, he stumbles upon an opportunity that would allow him to do both at the same time. And I found out about this 
documentary making workshop in Havana, Cuba. It was like a, it's a month long thing where you go and you, um, um, you know, it's in class for the first week. It's, it's at this prestigious uh, documentary uh, or film school outside of Havana. And like Steven Spielberg's been there to give talks and, uh, you know, uh, 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 Coppola, um, Francis Ford Coppola and all this stuff. And it was like, wow, this is cool. And you could go there for a month and you could learn from the best of Cuban's brightest film minds. And then the, 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 the best, the bonus or the best thing was that you could actually... Um, work with a Cuban film crew and create uh, in a group of people with the other students, you'd create a documentary, uh, you know, 10 to 12 minute documentary short. I was like, this is amazing. He thinks to himself, fuck it. And he pulls the trigger and applies to the program. A few months later, he's on a plane. Went to Cuba. One of the best experiences of my life, man. Uh, You're in this like crumbling school outside of Havana. There's hardly any amenities. Food is terrible. Uh, there's no toilet paper. Um, and yet somehow this school manages to exist and, and, and really some of the best and brightest minds, um, in the film industry, Cubans, uh, in Latin America for that matter too. They come to this school to learn workshops, full-time courses, master's degrees. Um, there's dogs running around the campus, stray dogs. Um, they're using these old school, you know, 1940s tractors to cut the lawn, um, the hot water's minimal. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart, you know? It's not like an all-inclusive resort. Despite its hardships, Cuba is a transformative experience for Andy. But dude, it hit me again in Cuba, this this thing that I felt when I was working with my brother. It was like this surge of like, I was a dopamine kick. It was like a, a, a pure joy that I hadn't felt in years. Um, that just kind of this electricity in your brain. We were on a rooftop um, in Havana and we were shooting a, one of the scenes where him and his friends are smoking cigarettes and they're sitting on the building and they're overlooking Havana. And I'm looking around and I'm like looking at the Cuban film crew. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? In a good way. I was like, this is fucking magical, you know? So again, this reiterated, you know, it reiterated the fact that, okay, I, I got to steer my life more in this direction. And he does. Once back in Canada, Andy begins to work on his next project. This time, he decides to tackle a true crime audio documentary, examining an unsolved case that took place not far from his hometown. The Oakland County child killer is an unidentified serial killer responsible for the murders of four or more children in Oakland County, Michigan. Several theories and suspects have been named in the case, but despite all these theories, the case remains unsolved, and the killer, or killers, have never been identified. That's an ambitious subject matter to cover. I envision 8 to 10 episodes of maybe 20 to 25 minutes in length. Um, I'm currently doing it all on my own. So I'm doing um, the interviews, the questions, the setting up of the interviews, the transcription of hours of tape, um, um, you know, um, all of this, right? Um, and I'm still, I'm just coming to the end of the interview stage where I feel like I've had enough with, and I'm, I'm going to use a quarter of these interviews. Um, but it's such a wildly complicated case. And just like that, Andy is pursuing his creative life, albeit in an incredibly dark way. But the story of the Oakland County child killer, well, it's stuck with Andy for a long time. 
Creating something based on that story is an idea he's had for a while, and the idea just won't go away. So I think that means it's an idea worth pursuing. But I don't know, something's compel- something compels me to continue with this. You know, I'm, I'm too far into it to not do something with 21 interviews and, you know, a, a, a timeline that covers this whole basement and, you know, promises to the families and, uh, and thousands of dollars in phone calls from the Michigan State Correctional Facility, you know, uh, from, from uh, uh, possible suspects and things like that, you know. It's just like it's become almost an obsession, you know. But again, it's one of those things, as dark as the subject matter is and how bad I feel for these families, um, there's a joy in creating that, again, a few times it's hit me, that joy that I talked about, uh, that electricity in my brain um, that I felt in Cuba, that I felt for the CBC piece. It happened, uh, (laughs) I got a recreational pilot in Michigan to fly me to an island that may be connected to the crimes. And... As we're in this little two-seater plane, besides the fact that I'm worried that we're going to crash and die in the water, um, that electricity hits me again. You know, I'm like, what is going on? Andy is now knee-deep in interview footage. He's probably gotten more access than any other media person who's covered the case in the past, all by being relentless in his pursuit and throwing himself into this project. Much like the audio documentary about his brother's addiction took on a larger purpose for Andy, This project has also become about something more than just the final product. It's an important part of Andy's evolution as a storyteller and a creative professional. I can't promise, I can't promise you or your listeners that it's going to be exceptional, but all I know is I'm going to, it's going to be done hopefully by Christmas, um, maybe a little after, um, I've set out a timeline. Um, but all I know is that I'm getting incrementally better. It could be like 0.002%. But, you know, that's what everybody, the seasoned vets in podcasting and radio and documentary, they tell you, they say, just keep making content because you're eventually going to meet. Ira Glass said something about um, you eventually meet your tastes. So your tastes in certain things, um, you know, that's a pretty high standard um, for what you like in movies and things like that. But if you keep putting in the work consistently, you'll eventually be able to produce things that meet that. You know what I mean? I definitely think if my mom hadn't passed away, I'd still be trudging along in Toronto, you know, paying rent, eating dinners by myself, you know, uh, um, saying that I was doing certain things like saying, oh, I'm working on it. But meanwhile, you know, going home and, you know, going on Facebook or something, you know, um, that that changed me in so many ways. Um, this whole like fragility of life thing and, and, and knowing that, um, you know, I'm not young anymore and we only have a certain amount of healthy time. Um, so it's like, why not spend the time on something that really gives your life meaning? Um, absolutely. It was, it, it was a game changer. It was just like, fuck it. You know, like you plan, plan, plan. And you say, ah, oh, man, benefits, pension, which are very important things. Um, especially if you have family or something like that. Um, but I was like, dude, man, my mom paid into a pension for 30 years, 40 years, maybe she got three years of it, you know? So that's, that's not a a blank check to, 
go and max out your credit cards, but there's got to be a fi- like a fine balance between living in the present and uh, planning for the future, right? It's hard to make major life changes. Sometimes moving forward in a straight line, it's just easier. It's the path of least resistance. However, maybe life is a little more interesting, more fulfilling even, when lived in curves and bends. The point, don't wait for an external force to push you off the straight line of your life, especially a tragic one. Fuck inertia.